You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. It is uh, it's great to see you all this morning. Do me a favor. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 4. And uh, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off in our series last week, a series I'm calling Pure. And I kind of started the series reminding us that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're preparing, uh, pursuing righteousness, uh, living to be more like Christ. We're preparing for the day we're going to meet God face to face, okay? And so we're going to pick up with acceptable worship is what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 23. If you don't have a Bible, it's probably one in a chair in front of you, okay? If you don't own a Bible, take the one in a chair in front of you and take that with you, okay? That's our gift to you. Uh, We'd love for you at Coastal to have a copy of the Word of God. Okay, while you're doing that, inside of your bulletin is a handout. I would encourage you to follow along, and uh, that's a great way to prepare for your small group. If you're not in a small group, it's not too late, okay? We'd love for you to join with us in this series and do a small group with us, all right? Um, One of the things I want to just bring to your attention while you're kind of multitasking is uh, last week we launched Operation Christmas Child. If you don't know what that is, okay, we've got information in the chair in front of you, but it's a great opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ to kids in another country. I know it seems a little early to be talking about Christmas, but basically what we're doing as a church, we're packing boxes like this. We're sending them overseas to children in areas that don't really have churches, uh, have an opportunity to talk about Jesus, but this box will be packed as a gift and it will be their Christmas gift. That's why we're doing it now in October, okay? Yeah, and actually, they have to be turned in um, by, uh, by the middle of November. That information is in your bulletin. Now, we have some boxes available you can grab on your way out. They're kind of prefab uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes. But the reason I'm holding this box to you is this is a great opportunity. They have these at Walmart. They're less than a buck, okay? And uh, if you send the gift through Operation Christmas Child, through one of these, they can actually keep the box, okay? And a lot of those homes, uh, folks find these very valuable. I mean, it's, a, it's crazy to me that in our culture, you know, well, most of us here can afford many of them at a dollar piece. And in other cultures, this would be something that's very, very valuable to store things. And so if you can afford one of these or a buck, Walmart, and you can pack this, uh, how to pack it is in the, in the information in front of you. And really want to encourage us to do that. It's a great small group mission project, by the way, at the end of your small group, six weeks, weeks number seven, get together, pack some boxes. All right, everybody with me? All right, all right. I heard a story this week. I read a story uh, about a lady in New Mexico that uh, was frying some tortillas with, for her husband. And uh, when she fried one side of the tortilla, she flipped it over, and the burn marks in the tortilla represented the face of Jesus Christ. And so she looked at it. She grabbed her husband in excitement. She said, would you look at this on this tortilla? It's the face of Jesus the husband agreed. He was like, wow, there are the, in the burn marks of the, the face of Jesus Christ. They, they went and they grabbed the neighbors and all the neighbors agreed that the burn marks on this tortilla represented the face of Jesus Christ. In her excitement, she, she took this tortilla off the skillet and she took it to her local priest and she asked the priest to bless the face of Jesus fried into the tortilla. Well, the priest was not accustomed to this. He had never blessed a tortilla before, except one he was going to eat, okay? And so uh, he wasn't sure what to do. And, and so the woman began to explain, ever since the face of Jesus showed up in the tortilla, everything around their life had been going better. There was blessings. She was kinder to her husband. Her husband was kinder to her. Finances had been better. I mean, this face of Jesus was just blessing their socks off, right? So the priest reluctantly blessed the tortilla. She took it home. She got a glass jar. She filled it with, ma- uh, with cotton swab. And then set the tortilla in the jar on top of the cotton swab so it would look like the face of Jesus was sitting on clouds. Okay? This became a local phenomenon. 
some 8,000 people visited the shrine of the tortilla. Okay, that's what happened. And, and all agreed that on this tortilla was the face of Jesus except one person. That was the author of this article in the Chicago Tribune. The author of the article of the Chicago Tribune said it didn't look so much like the face of Jesus to me, but rather it looked like the face of former heavyweight boxing champion Leon Spinks. Okay, so <laughs> kind of funny. But anyway, you know, what we worship and, and how we worship and, and, you know, where we tend to see Jesus, you know, is an interesting thing. And, and this morning I want to talk to us about are what I'm calling corporate worship. Now, uh, the danger in what I'm about to talk about this morning, and I hope for those of you who sat under my teaching for a long period of time, you're going to know that one of the things I am super passionate about is that when we're a follower of Jesus Christ, that all of our life is worship, right? When the way we work, when we work hard for our employer and we honor the Lord in our work, that's worship. And when we treat our spouse well for the glory of God, that's worship. When we go out on a date and we, and we treat our date well for the glory of God, it's worship. And when, we, when, we, uh, when we're careful with sex and sexuality and we do it the way God intended, that that's worship. And we use our finances to honor the Lord. That is worship. And so the danger in what I'm going to talk about this morning is you're going to misconstrue this hour that we spend together as worship in and of itself. However, with that said, the, the bulk of my message, the direction where I'm going this morning is talking about this hour we spend together. And I like, and you guys know, I always put a word in front of worship here. I put the word corporate worship. Why do I say that? Because this is this time during the week where we gather together as a body corporately to to sing to God, truths to God, truths about God, the character of God, and then we unpack the truths of God in his word, okay? And so I call this corporate worship, and that's the focus of my message this morning. Everybody with me? But don't confuse this hour as the only way we worship God. We worship God in all that we do. I want to be clear about that, because the danger of saying this time is worship, the danger of that is it, it's like a box to check. Well, I've worshiped God, check, and I leave God up at the church building, and now I go live however I want. Doesn't work that way, okay? The pursuing Jesus Christ is worship in everything that we do, and we have opportunity. To, you have opportunity at one o'clock today to worship God, and two o'clock, and on and all day, you have opportunity to worship God when you do things God's way, okay? So, with that, uh, let's look at John chapter four. It's a story that many of you know. It's called the story of the woman at the well, and, and it's a, uh, very early on in Jesus' ministry, he, he, it's, a, it's a super interesting story. I'm not, I don't have time to unpack the whole thing here this morning. We're actually just going to look at a couple verses, but uh, a super interesting story where Jesus comes up to this well. He's thirsty. His disciples go off to another town. He's, <clears throat> he's sitting there by this well. The Samaritan woman comes up. He asks for water, and they, they begin to have this exchange about water, and Jesus masterfully takes the, the normal uh, things of life and changes that into a spiritual conversation. It's an incredible exchange. And, and in this, uh, Jesus and this woman, they finally get to spiritual matters, and they start to talk about how they worship God corporately. And the Samaritan woman says, well, you know, uh, the Jews say that we need to worship God here, and, and uh, my group, uh, the Samaritans, we worship God up here, and I'm just kind of wondering where we're supposed to worship God. And what Jesus says next literally has revolutionized the world, revolutionized the world, and our idea of worship. And so in John chapter 4, verse 23, because Jesus says worship's not about here or there, okay? Let me, he said, let's cut to the chase. He said, but the time is coming 
Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in two things. What's he say? In what? Spirit and in truth. All right? Spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So I've only got two points this morning. Aren't you glad? Two points. Point number one, we worship God in spirit. Now, uh, what's interesting, if we're going to have pure, acceptable worship before God, we worship in spirit. And what's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't really tell us if it's the human spirit or the Holy Spirit, and I think he intentionally left it that way, because I think the answer is yes. And so the first way we worship God in spirit is to worship in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we worship, true worship is for those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that uh, all summer in the Romans. I spent a couple weeks on life in the Spirit. And this past week, I was meeting with Pastor Joe and Pastor Jeff. We were kind of praying about next year and where we wanted to go with some teaching. And we, we want to teach on the Holy Spirit next year. I'm really excited about that. We're going to talk about, man, what does that look like? And, and what is the, how does the Holy Spirit work? But, but true worship is in the power of the Holy Spirit because when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you commit your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible is very clear that we get a deposit of the third person of the Trinity in our hearts and lives. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And so we worship, true worshipers, worship in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible thing. In one chapter earlier, in John chapter 3, one of the teachers of the, uh, of the law in that day and time, a guy by the name of Nicodemus, he didn't really understand Jesus' ministry, right? And, and I taught on that uh, a couple years ago, and, we, and, and Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He's kind of sneaking out, and he's like, you know, what, you know what, what is this thing that you're doing? And, and Jesus said, you're never going to really understand it, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, right? And, and for those of you who've been like, following Jesus for a long period of time, you know, you're a little bit older you're my age or older, right? You remember like in the 70s, like that was the term, are you born again? And it was like this weird radical thing, but it's really a, a saying of Jesus, right? That Jesus said, there's a spiritual thing that happens by the work, person and work of the Holy Spirit that changes your heart so that you can see spiritual truth. How many of y'all remember that day? I remember that day. Like I grew up in the church and I knew all the stories and I knew my Bible, you know. How many of y'all grew up in a church where you did sword drills, Remember the sword drill? Right? You held, and some of you are like, what is a sword drill? Y'all were stabbing each other? No, no, we understand that this is, figuratively speaking, it's the sword of God, right? And so, and so we used to hold it up as little kids, and then you'd, they'd give you some Bible verse, and you'd race to find Like, I did that, man. I knew this book inside and out. I'd always win the sword drill. I was like the, I, even though I wasn't a preacher's kid, I kind of acted like one, you know, like, ah, I beat you guys, you know. I knew all the stories, but I remember the day that the Spirit of God awakened the truths of this book into my heart and life, right? It was a spiritual thing. The Holy Spirit did it. And so that's what Jesus teaches Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus says to Nicodemus, says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to what? Spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. You know, if you're, if you're here this morning and as I'm talking and something... I got that. Uh, I'm just kidding. If you, and your phone rings. All right, if you're here this morning, your phone rings. Honestly, I was afraid it was my phone. I, always, I told you all a couple weeks ago. Like, if it's, you start hearing I'm 40, I'm a man. I forgot to turn that off. So. Uh, <clears throat> if you're here this morning, and as I'm teaching, we're going over the Word of God, and something starts to warm inside of your heart. Like, you're like, man, I, 
I'm starting to get this a little bit. I'm going to tell you something. It's not an accident. It's not because that was a good sermon. It wasn't because Pastor Sean did something great. It wasn't because whatever you might think it is. It is the work of the Holy Spirit birthing spiritual life inside of you. It's a miracle. It's the God portion of this. And so if we're going to have pure worship, it, it's about the Holy Spirit doing something. And, and by the way, I'm not talking about Holy Spirit weird, okay? Like, you know, some of y'all are getting a little nervous, like the old Baptist folks in here, you guys are getting nervous. Like, is, are we talking about weird? No, I'm not talking about weird. In fact, you know, one of the things that, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, actually. So I've never really understood the churches that they're in the Spirit and they get out of control, okay? Quite the opposite should happen. We should be in control, okay? But I'm talking about when you come in here, church, and you're, you, you know, you're filled with the Spirit of God dwells in you, that you are anticipating that when we gather corporately, that pure worship, the Holy Spirit is working and he's shaping you and he's molding you into the image of Jesus Christ. You should come in here anticipating that, and when we go out of here, we should worship God in a new and a unique way, meaning we're living more righteous, more like Christ, week in and week out. If you're here this morning, and you've been a Christian for some 20 or 30 or 40 years, and the Spirit of God is not renewing you to be more like Jesus, and you're the same old yucky Christian you were 40 years ago, something's wrong, okay? Because pure worship is in the work of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is working and molding you and leading you in truth and convicting you of sin and lead, pushing you towards righteousness and ultimately molding you to be more like the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in John 3, man, I'm birthing spiritual life. And church, I hope that when you... When you drive here on a Sunday service or Saturday night service, I hope that there is some moment in your journey here. And parents, you've parents with young children, like I get it. Like I remember those days. My wife's like, you don't remember those days. You never did it. You were already at the church building. But I remember how difficult it is to get out of the house, right? And so I pre it's tough just to get here. And I appreciate especially young families that are here. But, but I hope that some point in your journey that you get alone with God for a few minutes and say, God, you know what? Through the singing of truth and through the preaching of truth, I pray that the Holy Spirit does something to mold me more into the image of Christ because pure worship is worshiping in truth and in the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? So we worship in spirit. The second thing is I want to talk about is our spirit because Jesus leaves it open-ended here. We worship in spirit. I want to talk about our spirit. That when you, you come here and engage in corporate worship, that your spirit is ready to engage with spiritual things and the truths of God. Hebrews chapter 12, the, the author of Hebrews says this. Hebrews 12 verse 28 says, Since... We are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Let me pause here. Let's chase the rabbit trail for a minute. Now, I love that first opening song we sang this morning. It has the Lord's Prayer. You know, we sing about God's kingdom on heaven coming to earth. You know, that's kind of what, that's kind of what our job is as, as followers of Jesus, is to kind of bring the heavenly kingdom here to earth and give the community around us a little taste of that. Right? Does that make sense? Can I take a chase a little rabbit trail a little bit? This past week, man, it's been an interesting week to be an American citizen, hasn't it? And, uh, like, I know that we live in a community that is deeply affected by the U.S. government for many, many reasons. Some of you are sitting here this morning, man, and your, your earthly kingdom has been shaken, right? And uh, I heard this week that, you know, parties from both sides, Democrats and Republicans, talk about winning 
I've heard that. We're winning. It makes me want to vomit. We're, I'm like, we're, we're almost $17 trillion in debt. We have promised more entitlements to the American people than our checkbooks can write. And we don't have a group of people that can figure out a way to lead us, be honest with us, tell us what really needs to happen. And so our kingdom is shaken, right? And it's crazy to me. Instead of talking about how we can come together in unity, we got two parties talking about winning. This is not winning. This is, this is a great country that's at stake. And if we divide, there's no winning. All right? Now, there's my rabbit trail. Because here's the good news. I don't really care what happens to the United States government. The Bible says if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Okay? Now, would I like the U.S. government to get together? Absolutely. Because I understand there may be some difficult times if we don't. I get that. I also understand we have a God that provides no matter the circumstances. Okay? That's what we just gathered saying about. We're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the book of Hebrews says. And so because of that, he goes on to say, let us be thankful and please God by doing what? Worshiping him with two things, holy fear and awe, for our God is what? A devouring or consuming fire. That's pretty awesome, by the way, isn't it? I told you last week there were four God is statements in the New Testament. This is the second one, right? Number one, last week we talked about God is love. This week, God is consuming fire. He's, I think what that means, there's a lot of things that means, but one of the things it means is God is awesome. Not like awesome pizza or awesome ice cream, like awesome in the true sense of the word awesome, okay? God is awesome. And so when we come to worship, our spirit must be engaged with our heart and with our attitude, Right? We, we're ready with a holy and reverent fear to worship the God of the Bible, the true God, the living God. And we're ready to worship with our heart and with our attitude. You know, a lot of churches, this one included, all right, we, kinda ha- we have these little slogans that are words like, come as you are. Right? Have you ever heard that? Come as you are. Come as you are. And we say that around here. We want you to come as you are. What, here's what we mean by that. Like when we gather corporately as a church, like we're, and by the way, if you're investigating or you're visiting someone, we, are, we couldn't be more thrilled that you're here. And we absolutely want you to come as you are. Once you investigate God, right at your starting point, you, you know, and we mean you don't have to dress up, by, you know, you don't have to, there's no religiosity. You can laugh. It's just good. We're going to have a good time. You know, there's a lot of things that you can come as you are, but but there's another side to this, especially for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, that when we gather corporately, you don't just get to come into the presence of God any old way you like, right? Have you ever heard a worship leader do that? Hey, you know, we're going to start singing and worshiping God, and, and you're free to worship any way you want. Have you ever heard a worship leader say And again, I'm not trying to be like too nutso here. Like, I get that. He means like if you want to clap or you want to sit, you want to kneel, you know, as long as you're not distracting others and, you know, and that are worshiping corporate. But there's some freedom in how we want to express what's going on in our hearts to the Lord, you know. Uh, but, but there's another side to the coin that says, you know what, you don't get to worship God any old way you want. We just looked at Hebrews. Your, your heart better be gripped with a sense of God's awesomeness because he's a consuming fire. You, you come with a holy reverence and, a, and an, uh, uh, this God that we worship be set apart. You, it's not just any old way you want. It's a privilege for us to enter into singing and to gather corporately and to enter and come into with a heart of prayer in the presence of the God of the universe clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's a privilege, and it's an awesome thing. 
And we need to come with a heart and an attitude that's appropriate when we enter the presence of God. We need to come with a little bit of passion, or I put the word enthusiasm. I think I wish I'd put the word passion. So uh, as I was thinking about this this morning, I wish I'd put the word passion there. We need to come with some passion. It's a great story in Luke chapter 7. Actually, in the past, one time in the past when I preached on worship, corporate worship, I used Luke 7. Luke 7 is the story of a, of a woman. Uh, Jesus gets invited to a dinner party, a, a Pharisee's house, a guy by the name of Simon. He gets invited to Simon's house to have dinner. And in Bible times, there were certain customs. When you, it's kind of like similar in our culture, like when someone comes to your door and knocks on the door. Like it's, it's not really customary to just yell, come on in! You know, I mean, you go greet them at the door. You know, I do that at my house. I'm always like, come on in, don't make me get up! Just come in, all right? But... But that's not really customary, you know. I mean, customers think get up, greet the person, shake their hand, let me take your coat, let me take your purse, you know, let me run through your purse. Those kind of things are customary. Um, so, you know, you kind of, it's just a greeting. And so in the Bible times, you know, there was some greetings. And, and part of the greeting was you would, you would greet the person and you'd wash their feet because when you sat down for dinner, the table was low to the ground, the feet were kind of near the food. It was just a customary thing, right? Not something we do today. And so uh, Jesus comes in. Simon doesn't give him any of the customary greetings. The food is served. This woman comes in, and the Bible is very clear that she she has kind of this moniker in her life. She's a sinner. You know, the woman's a sinner, you know. It's stunk in Bible times. When you got the moniker, it's stuck, okay? It was just with you. And so, you know, she came in, and she begins to weep over the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says she brings this, this very expensive perfume. She pours it over his feet, and she begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her tears and with the perfume and with her hair. And it's just this moment of worship. I love this scene, this body language. It's an overflow of her heart. And... Um, and then Simon, the Pharisee, who's self-righteous, okay, he thinks in his mind, man, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is, right? And then in Luke 7, 30-something, you'll have to look it up, uh, um, uh, Jesus, it's a great line, it says, Jesus answered his thoughts. That got me to thinking, like, never invite someone over for dinner that can read your mind, right? That's... <laughs> That could get really awkward. You know, you're sitting there eating dinner, and you're like, man, John's really put on some weight. He's fat, you know? And, and John looks up to you and goes, speaking of losing weight. So, I, I, what? I didn't say nothing, you know? So that, that's what happened to poor Simon, right? You know, he's just doing what all of us do, right? You know, so he's like, Jesus is like, speaking of, you know, really worshiping God, you know? What are you talking about? And so Jesus tells this story, right? And he, you guys know the story. He said there, were two, there was a, a money lender. One person owed $500, the other owed $50, okay? Now, actually, the, the figures would be bigger than that. One owed $500,000, the other owed $50. The money lender forgave them both. Which one do you think is going to love the money lender more, right? And Simon's like, oh, it's obvious, the one who was forgiven the bigger debt. And he says, that's the problem with you, Simon. You don't think your debt is all that big, that's your problem. That's why you don't, you're not really engaged in worship with Christ. That's why you don't have any passion, because you come in here self-righteous. You know what self-righteous is? Thinking your good works are going to stack up to God's holiness. That's what self-righteous is. It means you haven't understood the gospel message of Christ, that the only way you're going to be righteous, what we talked about last week, the only way you're going to be righteous in Christ or before God is in clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ granted to you by grace alone through faith alone. And Jesus said, this woman, she gets it. That's why she's here with enthusiasm and passion. And so here's my challenge, church. And we gather corporately. I want you to gather here in the morning and the evening if you're Saturday nighter. 
I want you to gather and I want you to be ready to engage God with some enthusiasm because you understand how much you have been forgiven. You understand how great the cost of the gospel was to God. You understand the gift of Jesus Christ. And so you gather here and you worship with some passion and with some enthusiasm. By the way, wouldn't it be cool if we had some guests here this morning and they weren't all that blown away by the coffee and they weren't all blown away they got greeted at the door. Hopefully they did. And they weren't all that blown away by the sermon, but they were blown away by a group of people that were enthusiastic when they sang to Christ. Well, they're looking around going, what is going on here? And they go, man, it's a people, group of people that are enthusiastic. So we worship God in spirit. Number two, we worship God in truth. First of all, so we worship God in truth. Pure worship engages with the truth. The first truth is the truth, truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We worship God in truth through Christ, that he is exactly who he said he is. That you worship Jesus as your hope, your savior, your joy, your superhero. There's an, Jesus Christ is the gospel of God. I want you to hear that again. By the way, the word gospel means what? What's it mean, church? Good news. Okay? Jesus Christ is the good news of God. He's the object of our worship. John chapter 4, verse 25, Jesus goes on with this woman. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. So remember, they were kind of debating about you worship here, you worship there. Jesus says, no, no, no. You know, time is coming and now is when true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. She said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus says something really powerful here. I am the Messiah. Now, let me pause here for a minute because I know we, we're blessed enough to attract some college students, all right? Those of you who are in college, those of you about to go to college, those of you who graduated from college, all right? You, you, you've run into some liberal arts professor that demeaned Jesus Christ by telling you that Jesus was a good teacher. That makes me sick. Because it does so much. I can go on the internet and find good teachers. What I can't find is a savior. All right? He's not just a good teacher. And you're going to get some liberal arts professors like, well, you know, the, over time, you know, the, the Bible developed, you know, the Christians developed who Jesus was. Jesus really didn't start out as saying he was the savior. Not true. Jesus, early on in his ministry, he knew exactly who he was. He came here sent by God as the anointed one, the special one sent by God to save the people from their sins. He is the Messiah. There was no mistake about it in his heart or mind. And so he says to this woman, I'm the Messiah. Let's make no bones about it. Whoa. So if we're going to worship in truth, we worship God's son, Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6, just a couple chapters later, Jesus said this. He says, I am the way, I am the what? Truth, and I am the life. And guess what, church? Here it is. I, this verse is a very uncomfortable verse to the American culture because it's very exclusive. And no one comes to the Father except through what? Not all roads lead to God according to Jesus' teaching. Which, by the way, those who want to claim he's a good teacher, he's either, he's either crazy to make such a statement and not very good, okay? Or he's a liar because there's other ways to God. Or he's exactly who he said he is. He's the one and only way to God, all right? And so pure worship is, is born around worshiping our Savior, Jesus Christ. Number two, pure worship 
and the truth, knowing the truth is, 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 is through God's word. 2 Timothy 2.19, the Apostle Paul writes this, he says, But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone. One of the things you're going to note at Coastal, and if Coastal's not the church for you, that's okay. And if maybe you're investigating church or whatever, I want to encourage you with this. Whatever you do, make sure you get into a church that opens this book and says, this is God's word. We believe it's true. Even the parts we don't understand, even the parts we don't like to hear, even the parts that are countercultural, because this is true, because we believe it's a foundation stone of which a life, a family, a church, a community, and a government can be built on, okay? Because Paul said it stands like a foundation. So how many of y'all have in your house, you, you have some closet doors that aren't shutting right, or you know, there's some cracks coming off your doorways. Any of y'all have that? I had that happening in my house. You know what I found out it was? It was my foundation was sinking, right? That's a major problem. The Bible says if we don't build on the Bible, on the truth of God's word, then our whole foundation is skewed and off. And the problem in America is we have moved off the foundation stone, the cornerstone of truth. And the problem is not the government and the them out there. The problem is the church of Jesus Christ. We have churches that no longer believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Is it any wonder that our community and our culture is confused about truth? It's no wonder. It's no wonder. And so church, actually, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be unpacking what life looks like, purity, to prepare for the day we'll meet Christ. And I'm going to talk about some things that are culturally difficult it's going to be opposite world, okay, for those who have been here for the last few weeks, opposite world. It's going to be culturally difficult, but the reason I teach those difficult things is because I believe God's word is true. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. Circle the word inspired. All scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do when we're right. The word inspired is literally the word God breathed. It's God-breathed. If you're ever reading your Bible and you don't feel like you're reading it, but rather it's reading you, right? It's because it's God-breathed. If you've ever been in a, in a setting where the Word of God's being preached and it's reading you and it's doing something in your heart and warming, it's because it's, it's God-breathed. It's, it's past weekend, I... Had a great opportunity on Friday night to come up here. The men's ministry put on a time of prayer, and one of the teachers, Terry Haynes, actually was te doing some teaching, man. And as I was sitting there, I was like, man, God was like doing something inside of me. Like, whoa, what, that, what is that? It's because the word of God was being taught. It's God breathed, you know, and God used, you know, actually two of the men are sitting over here, Lamont as well, did some teaching, and Marty. So thank you, man. By the way, can I do, can I do a rabbit trail for a minute, man? I want to challenge you something. I've had. Uh, I've had two really cool moments in the last month, and it had both around the men's ministry, and that's not to put down all the other great ministries that are going on at Coastal, but it was just my experience. Uh, it, uh, we've engaged in singing at a couple places in the men's ministry, and to hear men enthusiastically worship God through song is an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. And by the way, men, let me challenge you men a little bit, okay? <clears throat> now, this is, don't, don't pursue God because of this, but it's a sidebar. Okay, it's a, it's a blessing to pursuing God. Man, if you'll pursue God, here's the craziest thing. Your wife finds that strangely attractive. Isn't that weird, lady? I, like that, 
I know to us men that's weird, but the more you pursue Jesus, the more attractive she finds you, all right? Because if you're my age, it ain't the body, okay? That sin's gone bad, okay? So you got to find some new ways, all right? So... But man, as, we, as the word of God was preached, God warmed some things in my heart, some things I need to hear. Why is it? Because it's God breathed. Paul goes on to say it teaches and corrects us. So it's like a positive and a negative, right? It teaches us, encourages us in the direction we got to go, and it corrects us when we need correcting. Why? Because that's the power of the word of God. And so if we're going to have pure worship, man, we got to hold up God's word and, and, and we got to learn from the truth. And by the way, you know this because Jesus taught us this, right? You will know the truth and the truth will do what? Set you free, right? Set you free. Now, let me give you a word picture of that, though, because some of you will hear the truth, but it doesn't set you free. You want to know why? Here's why. If this is God's word and it, we believe it's true and it, it's objective and it's true and it teaches things, it's countercultural sometimes, right? But for, for it to set us free, we, if this is you and me, okay, we have to place ourselves in a, under the authority of the word of God. What most of us do, though, we hear something like, mm, I don't know, I, I think maybe that's not right. So when he teaches on sex and sexuality, and you're hung up in sexual sin, right, and you can, you can either submit to the authority of the Word of God, or you can say, I don't know. When he teaches on living a generous life and what it means to live generously and to donate generously, you can either do this and go, man, I know the freedom of that, or I'm not sure. All right, and prayer and living in community and you know on and on how to treat your spouse. You know we can choose, right? And so freedom is when we go. You know what? The word of God has authority over my life. Not just that I hear it and not have some head knowledge about it, but I I bend a knee to its authority in my life. All right. And final thing is this about worshiping in truth. <clears throat> Acceptable worship or pure worship finds its conclusion in obedience to the truth. This is what I just illustrated, right? When the word of God has authority and then we, we're changed and we go out and we live in obedience. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this. <clears throat> but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. <clears throat> Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. <clears throat> Obedience is the overflow of a heart that desires to worship God. I want you to hear that again. Obedience is the overflow of a heart that purely worships God in spirit and in truth. I've been reading through the Old Testament. I'm going to finish with this story. We'll close with prayer. I've been reading through the Old Testament, and I came across a little story in 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's one of these really awkward stories, but these stories kind of make their way throughout the whole entire Bible of what an awesome thing it is to worship God. And in this particular story, uh, King David, his, his, um, his kingdom had grown. God had really blessed him, and there was a lot of peace in the land. And so King David wanted, which hadn't happened for many years, wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the town where he was 
And, and so you guys know, like the Ark of the Covenant was a kind of a visible representation of the presence of God. Now, God didn't live in that little box, that little Ark, okay, but, but it was a visible representation of that, okay? And, and we know the Old Testament was just shadows of the New Testament. That's why Jesus said, you know, uh, the time has come and now is. We were, it's not here or there, or Arks or whatever, it's, it's spirit and truth, right? That's how we worship God. But in the Old Testament, God gave them shadows of things to come. And so one of the, part of that was the Ark of the Covenant. And God had given very explicit instructions on how the ark was to be moved and how it was to be navigated. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, Jesus, uh, David is celebrating the presence of God coming to his city. And there's, it's like a celebration, right? In fact, if it was a local, ch- a modern-day church service, because people were celebrating, the music's going, I think most of us go, man, the Spirit was there this morning, right? But the Spirit can be there without truth because they were moving the ark in a way that God had not told them to move it. They had loaded it up with a couple oxen and they put it on the back of a cart. And as they're moving it, the oxen pull this cart and it bumps and the Ark of the Covenant begins to slide out of the cart. And the family that's in charge of it, a guy by the name of Uzzah, he reaches his hand out to stop the Ark from hitting the ground, assuming that his hand is more holy than the dirt that it's about to hit, right? And he reaches his hand out. Some of y'all know the story, what happens? He's killed immediately. That's uncomfortable, right? Like, what? In fact, King David gets livid. He gets mad at God. God, we were throwing a big party for you, and you just ruined it by killing somebody in the middle of the party, right? That's basically what he says. And he leaves the ark there. He doesn't even bring it home. And there's this theme kind of throughout the whole Bible, actually, about how we worship God and what our heart looks like that we really don't get to worship God however we want. I mean, you see it with Moses. He goes up on the mountain, right? And Moses says, tell the people not to come near the mountain or they'll die. You don't get to come any old way you want. And Joshua, remember, Joshua was instructed, hey, uh, Jericho and all the plunder belongs to me. And one guy said, ah, take a little bit. People died. And David here, and then Elijah, right? Elijah, we get gets a little glimpse into the Holy of Holies, and it's awesome. He says he falls down like a dead man. This theme just goes throughout Scripture. In the book of Acts, remember there's a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, and, and the church service comes, and, and uh, they had sold some property, and uh, they, they kind of pretended that they had brought the wholesale of the property to the offering, and they only brought part of it. Not that God cares if you bring the whole or the part, but they had lied about it, right? And they come in, and they died, right? Like church, that gets a little weird when people start dying during the offertory, Right, you know, like, what is going on? Why am I bringing this up? Because worshiping God is an awesome thing. Number one, the only reason you get to worship in the presence of God is because of the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Number two, when we gather corporately, we better be serious about the business of worshiping God. We better come with our spirits engaged and make sure the truth is being taught. Because Jesus said this. He didn't say, come as you are and worship any old way you want. He says, when we worship God, we worship in spirit and we worship in truth. I can hardly imagine what God can do with a church that engages in corporate worship in spirit and truth. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the encouragement this morning. And it's an encouragement for me and it's an encouragement for all of us, God.
to be sure that we're worshiping you in spirit and in truth. And Father, I pray even now, God, as we bow our heads and close our eyes, maybe there's some folks here that need to do a little bit of serious spiritual business this morning. I would acknowledge, you know what, I came in a little distracted this morning. and I, I came in a little unprepared. God, I can hardly imagine what you do with a group of people saying, you know what, I, uh, we, we're going to be serious about this new thing that God is doing. We worship in spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, our spirit, and we worship in truth, the truth about the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of God's word. And God, when we don't want to be just hearers of the word, we, we want to be changed into doers of God's word as an overflow of true worship, pure worship. And God, we, we recognize that this moment here on earth, this corporate worship is one of your commands, but God, it's a, it's a little bit of heaven come to earth, God, and we, we long for that day when we have opportunity to see you face to face. This is a preparation for that day. Thank you for this preparation. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. And um, <clears throat> if you're a guest with us, we don't want you to feel any obligation to give. We're not after your money. This is one of the ways where we worship the Lord. As a guest, we'd love to have one thing from you on the side of that bulletin. is a tear-off. <clears throat> and uh, if you just fill that out, uh, we want to send you a thank you card for coming. That's all we're going to do with that. Terrell's a great way to communicate with us. If you're here this morning, God's been tugging on your heart, and uh, man, you feel like, man, I just need to talk to somebody. I need to pray with someone before we leave. Right after service, we got a couple folks with purple shirts. They'll be sitting right up front, and uh, they would love to pray with you uh, before you leave here this morning. Joey.
Have a great afternoon.